I told the uh, early service, I didn't play that video to make you feel guilty. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. And, uh, you know, and probably, I was, it said, in fact, I said for my wife's benefit, uh, if, if I wanted her, did, did I hear you groan? Yeah. Nah. Uh, <laughs> I'd have to play this in January because that's when she starts looking for deals. And, and I appreciate that. She, she is the deal finder, and that has always saved us a bunch. But, you know, uh, just it's, it's, the reality is, this, this season seems to take over us, doesn't it? In fact, uh, I don't know if you realize it, but this particular week is a hinge week in the, in the entire part of our world, in this culture. This is a huge, this is a pivot week in our nation. It is the week that we pivot from thankful for to I want more. <laughs> or, we, or we pivot from grateful to a cartful. And, and so in this process, in the spirit of, in fact, as we, as we have kind of this is our theme verse right now, uh, we're looking at a passage of scripture where really, uh, Paul, if you're, and you remember who Paul is, Paul is, uh, was, was actually not one of the original followers of Jesus. In fact, during the time when Jesus was walking on this planet, uh, Paul was opposed to Jesus, but then he met the resurrected Jesus, and turned everything around for him, and he became one of uh, uh, one of the the prime uh, individuals who traveled around trying to let people know about who Jesus was and and why they needed to take his gift that he was offering of forgiveness and and the restored relationship. So he became a follower uh, later on, and after he met the resurrected Jesus. So and he's written this. This is a letter that we're looking at a part a portion of a letter that he wrote back to one of the churches that he helped establish and <clears throat> to the church in Philippi. And so we're looking at a statement that he made where he gives us uh, an inside look of what, what was the heart, what was the attitude that led to our baby in a manger, our Christmas story. And, and so we're spending time thinking that through together because, as Paul said here, as we look at that, we should look at Jesus' attitude that led him to make the decision to step into our world, and then that should be what we say, okay, I want to have that same kind of attitude. And so, why, so that's why this is significant, uh, uh, and, and uh, so and that's why we're spending the time here. And, and even as we talked about that attitude, uh, another way of saying that is you should have the same self-perspective, or, or maybe say it, uh, the same, same sense of self-importance, and you know, we, we've all run into people in our uh, life that just seem to have this elevated posture or, or thinking of their own importance. They just, you know, that when it, they really think that they're stuff. Yeah, I don't know how else to put it. They're, and and the, their whole, not only do their whole world center around them, but they think the whole world should center around them. And, and what happens with that, in fact, I ran across a quote that I, that I found really interesting. When I first read it this week, uh, is like, oh, I don't know, but, but let you help me think, think it through with me. Uh, well, that's the passage. In fact, if you want to get, go ahead and go towards it, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at five, verses 5 through 7 today. So in your Bibles or your devices, you want to get there. But here's the statement, and, and it's written by a Bible teacher, author, a Dr. Wayne Dyer, and he made this statement. He said, self-importance is man's greatest enemy. Now, that's a, that part, first of all, gave me pause. I'm thinking, oh, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of things that... Uh, but he, he developed his idea. And here's why. He says, what weakens him 
is feeling offended by the deeds and misdeeds of his fellow men. So he's saying, so what happens is it, it becomes a humanity's enemy because it keeps us in this weak posture where we're always sensing that something because, because the world doesn't revolve around, of us, around us, like it or not, we always are offended. Something doesn't go right that, that makes us suddenly get uh, upset with life in itself. And so it, we, we're always on this, this, on the back of our heels because of that. Then he goes on in developing this. His self-importance requires that one spend most of one's life offended by something or someone. And, and you know, you, you, uh, you watch people that, that kind of think that the world revolves around them. And, and uh, you know, so, so someone doesn't show them the respect that they thought they were deserved. And, and now they're, they're upset or they're angry. Or, or, or they go to something important expecting to get the best seat, and they don't get the best seat. Or, or you could go on and on. And in fact, it's interesting. Sometimes they get upset with things that really don't even have anything to do with them. But from their perspective, everything has to do with them. You know, a, a, a store stops selling their particular brand of shampoo. And it's like, they are so upset. Somebody, you know, somebody out there is, is purposely trying to do this to them because they need that shampoo or uh, they don't even think about the fact that, you know, other people do too. Or, or maybe it's the company and, and what about, boy, they, maybe they're going out of business. It's just this, this tremendous perspective that, of constantly offended because things don't go the way we think they should sometimes. And, you know, I thought about this in, in, in the realm of, of what we're studying here. If anyone ever had the right to have a sense of self-importance, it was Jesus. Uh, if anyone ever had a right to take offense, in fact, general offense, it, w- it would be him as, as, as the creator, as, as the Bible calls him the creator, the sustainer of the universe. As we go back into scenes of the, of the history, even prior to humanity, and, and here is God, and, and that included God the Son, Jesus, and, and they, they create humanity, uh, not because they had to, not because they needed humanity, uh, but they wanted to, and they wanted to, they, they created humanity, and part of their, of the heart of God for creating humanity was he, you know, to, to show love on it to us, uh, and as our creator, he knew exactly what was beneficial for us and what, what was, uh, detrimental or even destructive for us and and so he laid that out very carefully even from the very beginning and then and then humanity chose to they said no we don't want to do it your way we want to do it our way and and so if anyone ever had a right to number one feel self-important because he is and then number two be deeply offended by all of us because we all make those decisions where we say i want to do it my way then it would be god and yet that's not his attitude at all. Instead, he makes this decision to step into our world on our behalf. And, and so that's what this passage is, is laying out. And so let me read uh, uh, chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, which is what we're going to look at this morning. Starting with verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So here's God, and, and what we're, again, we're looking at, we're getting a, a, an opportunity, the curtains are being pulled back, and we're getting a behind-the-scenes look 
at the heart of God that led to the Christmas story. So, so we're, we're getting the heart of God that actually led us to what we celebrate as one of our most significant times as believers. In fact, and what, like I mentioned last week, even though a lot of people don't even comprehend why they're celebrating, they're celebrating this time of year. And, and that's cool, you know, because God has touched their life, even if they don't know it. Now, our responsibility, and it fits in with what we're talking about in this whole message series, our responsibility is that to help point them to why they're celebrating, why it's, why it's worth celebrating. And so, so as we walk through this, and remember, as Paul, Paul talks us through this and, and gives us some insight into the heart of God that led to the Christmas story, remember his reason for it, he says, is so that we will have the same attitude, so that we'll use God the Son's example and say, okay, that's, that's how I want to respond to this world around me. I want to, have, I want to be just like Jesus. And, that, and that's really the message. And, and even the message of that opening video is, is you know, as we, uh, this Christmas season, let's, let's be like Jesus. And uh, so we got to ask ourselves, okay, well, what does that mean? What, what is the question behind the question? So, so we want to walk through this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who, and here's where we begin to look, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, I want to talk through that, and, and I've given some, some really, really corny titles today, so, you know, probably don't want to write these in your Bible, and, and uh, you know, it gets worse. But, it gets, so, but so here, I kind of I put it, this first part in, in this nutshell. You don't fear losing what you cannot lose. And, and we're going to walk through this because I want us to understand them things. But be, before we actually get into that section, here's the problem. We're talking about Jesus Christ. We know that. And then we see this say, and did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That's a problem. That's one of those verses I want you to know that cults, they love it. They, they are going to point you. If you, start, if you say to them, well, God, Jesus is God, because that's what our Bibles say, they're going to say, no, that's not what your Bible says. In fact, let me show you. And they're going to take you to Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, and they're going to say, you see what it says? He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. And you and I are going to go, what, 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 what do you mean? So, so we need to talk about that because I, we need to understand what is and is not being said here. And, and so here, I want us to understand. Now, first of all, I want you to know where they're, they're already wrong, and you probably saw it if you paid attention to the slide I went to, because it's already said that he's in very nature God. He's already made that declaration that he is God. That's what that means, that he's God. In fact, it could have been translated a couple other ways. It could have been translated being God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Or it could have been translated, because it's got an, uh, the, the word that's involved has a sense of the beginning point, of the, in the beginning. And so it could have been translated, who was God from the beginning does not consider equality with grasp. So he's already made, Paul's already covered that. Uh, and, and so you've got to skip that part, or, or at least answer that part, if you're going to take this stance of, Obviously, Jesus never knew that it wasn't possible to be equal with God, and, and so he wasn't even trying that. That's not what this is being said. So, so you kind of walk, okay, well, then what is being said? Well, here, you know, and, and maybe you're jumping ahead of me. If he's God, then he is equal to God. 
or with God, because he is God. You know, it, it, what's, I don't understand this whole line of argument that Paul's taking here, because obviously if, if he's God, he's equal to God. And, and so there isn't a question of whether or not he grasps equality or goes after equality, because he's already equal. So, so what on earth is his point? And exactly, that's, that's, you're on the right track here, because his point is not this idea of, of can he be equal with God? He's already said he is God. His point is this. Is he willing to let go of the power, the, the benefits, the surroundings, all the things that are part of what he rightfully deserves belongs to him? Because he is God. Is he willing? Would he be willing to actually those things aside for the benefit of someone else, for the sake of you and I, and not for his own behalf, because they're not going to help him in any way, shape, or form. In fact, as you know, if you follow the scripture, or you'll certainly know if you follow with us on to, to, the, to the Easter season, not only is it not for his benefit, it, it will cause him tremendous suffering and heartache and destruction, and experiencing something that he never had to experience had he not been willing to make a step. Physical death and the experience of taking the sin of humanity on himself. And and all that is wrapped up in this decision. And so here's the real question that Paul is is informing on, Son. This is the question that was in the Godhead is, am I willing to let go of what I know is rightfully mine, equality, and take this step, which means tremendous, tremendous suffering on behalf of humanity. That's the question. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I remember years ago hearing one of those African stories, and I, and I was told that, that down in certain parts of Africa where they like monkey meat, never has sounded exciting to me, but they like monkey meat, and, and so they'll, they will trap monkeys. And, and what they will do oftentimes, uh, as I've been told, is they will put a banana, because monkeys really do like bananas. Now, I do like bananas, so that may tell you something, I don't know. But they'll put a banana down into a jar of some sort with a, with a hole in it that's just big enough for the bananas uh, or the monkey's paw, I don't know if that's the right, right term, to reach down in and they can grab the banana, but it's too big for the banana to come out. With the hand, so they're they're actually they have they could they could escape if they'd be willing to let go of the banana, but they won't. They'll hang on to it, and they have the, this thing tied to a tree or something, and so they can walk up and just pick up the the monkey. And so they're, and so this this idea of is is Jesus so concerned about making sure everybody knows he's God, this self importance that you know who I am, and so I don't dare let go of anything because someone may not realize how important I am. Or does he ask a grasp onto that, or is he willing to let that go for our behalf? And that's the question that is being asked. And that's the question that's behind the Christmas story. And it's the question for you and I, because frankly, as we move into this season, you and I are going to have opportunities, and where we're going to have to make a decision, we're going to say, okay, what's most important at this moment? Keeping my place in, in the line to the cashier. 
or letting go of something that's not really going to be a big deal suffering-wise for me. Although sometimes it feels like when the line is so long and, you know, you're up there and you, and you remember, you see it, you remember, oh, I needed that. But if I leave the line, I got to, you know, all those kinds of decisions. And, and so remember, that's, that's where Paul's framework is. He's trying to take us back to ourselves, but at the same time giving us perspective of the heart of God for you and I. That he felt like, he did, and he knew, I shouldn't, he knew you were worth it. You were worth making this decision, letting go. He was still God, but letting go of the benefit, the, the, the power, all those things that were part of, of, of what he deserved as God on behalf of you and I. And so he decided that we were worth it. So, you don't fear losing what you cannot lose, but you can lose... You, and you can't lose it, but you can't choose. See, I told you they're corny. I... <laughs> so he made a decision. He made a decision to make himself nothing on our behalf. He made a decision to lay aside what was rightfully his, his in order to benefit you and I. Now, I, uh, I, I try to, you, know, you try to figure out how to illustrate what's going on with, with some of these statements. And, and uh, uh, I could, I've always loved Westerns. I don't know about some of you, but I, I love Westerns. I always have. Uh, my favorite reading, uh, as far as just leisure reading, is I love Louis L'Amour. Uh, I'm a big fan. I love, I love his books, and, and, uh, and I like to watch Westerns. In fact, uh, you know, I found that there's that channel called Me TV that has the, the old Westerns on it. I tried to get my grandkids involved. I, I, come on, you need to watch this because this is, this is really cool. Uh, when they were all living with me, and, and they lasted about five minutes and didn't think it was all that cool. So um, I don't know, the black and white. They, they would rather watch. Their, you, some of you have kids, you know. They were rather watch this thing where they're actually watching somebody that's playing a game. Totally don't get it. I just, I don't get it at all. Anyway, another story. But anyway, so I love, I love Westerns. And you know, lots of times in Westerns, you'll have this the story, and, and, and this guy comes into town, and, and he is, he's a bad dude, or probably should say it in the right vernacular. He's a bad hombre, you know, there. So he comes into town, and he's bully. I mean, he's just, everybody's scared of him, and, and finally the sheriff shows up, and the sheriff comes to town, and the sheriff confronts this bad hombre, and uh, somewhere in the discussion, as they're having this conversation, the bad hombre is going to say to the sheriff, you're just hiding behind that badge. Take the badge off and we'll see how tough you are. And you know what he does. He takes the badge off and lays it down, and takes his gun belt off and lays it down. And then he beats that punk up. All right. <laughs> you know, and so, but, but the reality was he was still the sheriff. And all the authority with, that went with being a sheriff, but for the purpose of the battle, he, he laid aside for a moment uh, those things. And, and that's, that's not a great illustration, but it's a little bit of an idea of what we're talking about here. Is as, as Jesus made that decision and he saw the battle we were in, and here's the battle we're in. We're in the humanity is in this battle for, for something inside of us that we know is missing. Because, see, we were created to be in relationship with God. And, and that relationship was broken from the Garden of Eve. But, but it, we, you know, we love to lay everything on Adam and Eve. Yeah, they made a decision. Here's God who had 
only their best at heart and knew. It wasn't like he was guessing. I think this would be a good idea. He knew what was their best and he laid it out for them. And he actually knew what would cause destruction. And he told them of that as well. And, and they made a decision to go the other direction, to, to not do what God knew out of his heart of love would be the most beneficial for them. And, but we've done the same thing. And, and so God looks at humanity, and here we are, we're chasing all these things that we've talked about a lot here, True North, something to fill that empty spot in our heart. And, and, and we chase this, and it doesn't work, and we chase this, and it feels good for a little bit, and then it goes away. And, and, and he knows what that void is, that empty spot is about, is it's that we need a relationship with God. And so he chooses to step into our world, to lay aside all the benefits, all the things that he should, that he deserves as God for our, on our behalf. Knowing, knowing that suffering, sorrow, destruction, loss of reputation, death as one of the worst criminals, even though he had done nothing wrong, he was entirely... Knowing that, that, that was all part of what making that decision meant for him. So he wasn't afraid of losing what he knew he couldn't lose. That's not the pro- the question here. He made a decision. He chose to lose, to set aside for our behalf what he rightfully deserved. Can't lose, but you can't choose, and he did. And so then Paul goes on and he says now, and we're still talking the behind the scenes of the Christmas story, what, what it was that led Jesus Christ to make the decision to step into our world. And it says he took on the very nature of a servant. He could choose, so he chose to lose. And remember, this is talking to us. It's telling us the heart of God for us, but it's also saying, now go and, and be like me. Uh, one of my one of the interesting stories in in the Bible is uh, actually it's covered by it's one of the things that happened with Jesus and and uh, and his disciples and it's covered by Mark and Matthew, uh, so it made an impact on on those two guys especially. And, here, and here's the kind of the background. Uh, one of the moms of two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, she came to talk to Jesus one day and and, and basically you know she said from typical mother's heart she said. Uh, uh, just, I just wanted to talk to you about this. You know, we, I know you have a lot of good disciples, but it's pretty obvious that John and James stand out. You know, They're, the other ones are good. They're the best. They're brightest. Perfect, typical mother thing. You know, my yeah, you have beautiful kids, but well, anyway, you know. So, so he, so she comes to Jesus, and she makes basically that's the statement, and she says, you know, and so here's what I think you need to do, Jesus. Just in, in case you've missed it, I just want to make sure that you don't miss it. When you set up your kingdom, what you need to do is you need to pick one of my sons to be your second in command on your right hand, and one of my sons to be third in command on your left hand, because you know you just know they're a step above everybody else, and and so I'm just giving you a heads up, just kind of help you save some time if you're wrestling with this. You need to pick James and John; they're the they're the best and the brightest. Well, two things. Number one, Jesus says to her, basically, you have no idea what you're asking. Uh, but then the worst of it is, 
Some of the disciples overhear the conversation, and that does not make things go well among Jesus' followers. Disciples. I used to work with a guy, and uh, uh, in fact, when I was in Bible college, and when things would start going bad, he would go, sickness in the camp, sickness in the camp. And, you know, I don't know where that came from, uh, but... Uh, you know, that was his line. And all I could think of is, you know, as you, as you read about, as they start fighting amongst each other and they're upset at, at, at uh, James and John's mother, but they're actually upset at James and John, and I don't know why, but they're all, so they're all fighting and, and, and now they won't do anything for each other because if I do something for you, I might, you know, be giving up my position and I don't want to do that. And, and so all this stuff is going on and then Jesus steps into the middle of this this really ugliness that's, that's formed in his followers, and he stops them all, and he makes this statement. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, it's talking about Jesus Christ. This is talking about God. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Not only serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so he says, here's where I want you to be. Here's what I want you to understand about the heart of God. Here, as Jesus Christ made, Christ made that decision to step into our world, to lay aside, and, and you know, it's an interesting, here, here he is, you know, we watched him walk through his ministry on, on planet Earth, and, and I, I've heard people develop it this way, you know, like, remember that, remember that as that time where, uh, where he, uh, the paraplegic is brought to him, and they can't, the guys can't get to him, so they climb up on the roof, and, and remember, they, they dig up the roof, and, and uh, you know, uh, as, as a homeowner now, I'm thinking, Wait a minute. I hope this insurance covered that. Uh, but so, uh, so they dig up the roof and they lower this, the, the man down into the midst of him. And, and Jesus makes these comments. And one of the comments he makes is, uh, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, to verify that he has a right, take up your bed and walk. And the guy jumps up and carries his bed off. But remember, if you remember the story, all of a sudden the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, man, they are up in arms. How, does, how can he say your sins are forgiven? He does, only God can do that right. That's the point he's making. But, but what it said was, as they, they murmured to themselves, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And, and we look at those stories and we say, well, yeah, that's his, he's putting his God back on. I don't believe it is. I believe that is him relying on God the Spirit to give him insight. And, and see, see, we all have that benefit. And, and you, if you're a follower of Christ, you probably had those situations. I've had them where, you know, I just, I sense God telling me something. And, and I, I remember years ago, uh, there, and I've shared this with you, I believe, some of you, but I remember I was, we were in Virginia at the time, I was ministering at a church, and, and uh, I'm, I'm heading up this, the mountain to go do some shopping, and I'm, I'm, as I'm, I go by this lady's house, she'd never been to my church, not one time. I'd met her in a community event. Her name was Tina. And, and as I'm going by Tina's house, I sense something tell me, you need to stop and see Tina. And I remember thinking, I don't even know Tina. I'm, I just, I've casually met her. It's, she didn't come to my church. No, and I kept driving. And I'm, dri- I'm not driving up this mountain. It's a pretty nice, pretty good-sized mountain pass, and all the way up, I keep hearing this voice in my heart say, you need to go see Tina. And, and I get, I'm to the top of the mountain. I'm on the other way down the other side because that's where the town is to get to. And, 
And it's like, it's kind of like God says, okay, I'm going to bug you with this until you do what I told you to do. And so I thought, oh, geez, okay. I'll turn, and, you know, I'm, and so I turn around and I go back down the other side of the mountain, pull into Tina's house, and, and I walk up to the door. I knock on her door. She opens the door. And when I open, she opens the door, she says, Pastor Paul, how did you know? And I said, no one. I have no idea why I'm here. And she said, I just got off the phone, and the doctor told me that uh, I've got cancer. Now, see, God does that for all of us. And, and, and Jesus, had, he relied on the Holy Spirit to give him those insights. I fully believe that. He led the example. But that's why the writer of Hebrews will later say he's the perfect high priest because he knows what it's like to walk through life on planet Earth. He never gave in to sin, but he lived it. He laid aside. He lived it for our benefit, just like we have to live, relying on his conversations, his insights with God the Father and God the Spirit. And, and when he did miracles, God did those miracles through him, God the Father. And, and so he, he understands. He's a perfect high priest. That's why Hebrews calls him our sympathetic high priest, because he knows. He, he made a decision. He never gave up being God. But he laid aside those benefits for our sake for a period of time. And, and so Paul says, so, so here's where you and I need to be in Christmas season. We're going to have opportunities to give up what we deserve. I should get that. I should be there. That should be my place. We're going to have opportunities to uh, decide uh, if we're willing to serve or not. Or even sacrifice. And God's saying to you as his followers, my children, in this important season when a lost world out there is scrambling and, and is so far away from the heart behind Christmas, Lead the way. Be Christ in your community. True North Church, we live in this community full of people that you're going to talk with, rub shoulders with, have opportunity to be angry at because they took away something you deserved. We're going to have all those opportunities and every time we have one of those moments, we're going to have a decision to make. Am I going to represent myself and how important I am? Or am I going to be like my master and let people know this Christmas season that the message of Christmas, the gift of Christmas, is that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish that have everlasting life. That's a big deal. Let's make sure the lost world knows it. Father, thank you for your word, for giving us the opportunity to check in behind the scenes of the Christmas story. As, as insignificant as that manger and that baby in that manger is to us, we know that's only part of the story. What was in the heart of God that led him to be willing to do that? Thank you for the the chance to have a little better picture of how much you love 
us as your children for sure, but humanity as a whole. You died for the world, for God so loved the world. And Lord, as we step out into that world, that lost world, that hurting world, thank you for the privilege of representing you in the midst of it. Help us to do that well. As True North Church, certainly, but even more so as, and first and foremost, as your children, as your family. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.